Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. This is the Believe in Astros podcast on the Believe Podcasting Network. Welcome in. I'm your host, Jeff Balky, and I'll be with you talking Astros throughout the season and beyond. This is our inaugural episode, so a bit of housekeeping here to start. To let you know a bit about myself, I am a freelance sports journalist and native Houstonian. I've been a Houston sports fan as long as I can remember in many of those memories, as I'm sure all of you Houston fans are aware, have not always been good ones. I've been writing about H-Town teams for nearly a decade. I've written for the Houston Chronicle, Houstonia Magazine, Texas Monthly, and the Houston Press, where I cover the Astros on a weekly basis. I also do a sports segment most Mondays on Houston Public Media 88.7 FM. During the Houston Matters show with host Craig Cohen, I'm very excited and honored to get into this Astros team here on the Believe Network and eventually pair with a co-host. If you don't know about the Believe Podcasting Network, it pairs people like me with former players and coaches to deliver entertaining content for fans. Once we have news on who'll be joining me on these podcasts, I will pass it along because, like you, I'm super excited to find out who that might be. And until then, we're going to be flying solo, just you and me. You can find me on Twitter at Jeff Balky, J-E-F-F-B-A-L-K-E. It's Balky, not Balky, like the guy from Perfect Strangers. That's a mistake a lot of people make. But my first name is Jeff. His first name was Balky. And I'm not from Mepos. Perhaps you recognize the accent. Anyway, On our first episode, I'm going to do something that we'll probably be doing on a regular basis here. Every week, I put together a rundown of the first few games of of what's been going on the last week and a preview of what's to come. I do this in the Houston Press. It typically drops on Tuesday. That is when I'm recording this first episode. And that story is going to hopefully serve as a jumping off point for some of the topics we want to go over. I'll make sure and put that link and some others in the notes for this particular episode, which you can find on the Believe page for the Believe in Astros podcast. Believe.com. It's B-L-E-A-V.com. So to get started, a couple of little updates here about some injuries and things like that that we've been we've been looking at. Kyle Tucker hurt his foot uh, last week. Fortunately, no structural damage according to the MRI. He appears day-to-day, like the rest of us. And... Uh, Some other issues, you know, we're still waiting to hear where Lance McCullers is in his process. We know that he had been throwing off of a mound finally. We also know that Jake Myers, the center fielder who was injured in the playoffs last year, that he is pretty close to returning. He did uh, play in a full simulated game, uh, just like in spring training, and they say that he is getting better. But there's not a timetable on either of those guys. Frankly, there's not really a, co- a timetable on Kyle Tucker either. But it appears, mm, you know, he should be back sooner rather than later. But let's jump into, I usually do about four sort of points. And I want to kind of go through those one at a time and, and flesh out some of the ideas and, and talk about some of the things in here. The first up is Justin Verlander. So, all evidence had pointed to Justin Verlander being a machine. But, indeed, he does bleed. (laughs) Last Friday, uh, the 37-year-old starter 
ace right-hander, uh, gave up six runs on four home runs against the Mariners. Now, it's a tough loss against a team like the Mariners, who is in your division and, frankly, isn't very good. But, you know, Verlander has been spectacular, the best pitcher in baseball so far this year. His ERA before that game was 1.13, after it was 2.03, which is still incredible. And when you think about the fact that he really is the best pitcher in baseball at 37 years old, that's already incredible, right? We're talking Nolan Ryan-level performances here. But the fact that he's doing it after missing essentially two years coming off Tommy John surgery, I don't know even how to describe that. I mean... You know, I I bang up my knee and I can't go to the gym for a month. This guy has Tommy John surgery and he comes back and becomes the most dominant pitcher in baseball, even at 37 years old. You know, Nolan Ryan's documentary just came out. I haven't had a chance to see it yet. I'm, I'm really anxious to do that. But when you look at how dominating he was, even into his 40s, and so, and how intimidating he was as a pitcher. Justin Verlander really is cut from that same cloth. By the way, I did in the story on the Houston Press post a link to the video of a 46-year-old Nolan Ryan going after a much younger Robin Ventura, which I'm sure many Houston fans know. It's just really remarkable to see Verlander pitching this well. Now, in this rough outing that he had versus the Mariners. You know, part of it is due to him pitching so aggressively in the zone with his fastball, particularly up in the zone with his fastball. His slider has not been great this season. He has not managed to find great command over that slider. And that's something I'm sure he's working on, and I'm sure the Astros want to see him figure it out sooner rather than later because it gives him another great pitch. I mean, in years past, his slider has been one wicked out pitch for him. You know, uh, even in times when his fastball might not be quite under command, which it has been all season long. But for the time being, his slider's not quite working for him, so he's really relying on the fastball. And he challenges hitters. Well, it is the reason why he tends to give up a lot of home runs. He gave up a ton of home runs the year he won the Cy Young Award. And so this is these kind of games are probably going to happen for him. He's going to give up some home runs and bunches. Now, he's been good so far this year. This was his one hiccup. He's back this week. Uh, we'll see if he is able to bounce back from what is an unfortunate outing. But I don't expect it to sully anything for him. This guy is an incredible pitcher and a marvel of athleticism at 37 years old, again, I keep repeating it because it's honestly, it's kind of hard for me to believe. You know, when we talk about great players as they get older, you know, we don't, Justin Verlander's an interesting guy too because it, the, there's a bit of a metaphor in how he pitches games around his age. He tends to have a little more velocity later into games. It's always been kind of his thing. As the game goes along, he tends to dig a little bit deeper and his velocity goes up. We're seeing kind of the same thing in his age. He's getting older, but he's still just going out there and crushing it. We haven't seen any real weakness or loss of velocity. Um, like I said, we're still waiting for that slider to come around, but otherwise, he continues to be masterful, and it's, it's a joy to watch. Justin Verlander is must-see baseball. And in fact, we have a number of guys 
who are must-see baseball, and we should all be happy about that. I mean, Jordan Alvarez, who hit two home runs on Monday, both over 440 feet, I might add, which is incredible. One, 469 feet. Um, And then you've got Jeremy Pena, rookie. All three of those guys, Verlander, Jordan Alvarez, and Pena are spectacularly fun to watch and and definitely must-see baseball. And speaking of that, brings me to my second point, which is Framber Valdez. Framber Valdez has worked himself into becoming one of the best pitchers in the American League. He doesn't have the dominance of a guy like Verlander, but he does something that is equally incredible, and that is he is getting ground ball outs at a historic rate. I posted a link in my story uh, to a fan graphs uh, post about Framber Valdez and his historic pitching. They showed that his ground ball to fly ball ratio this year so far is at 10. 10 ground balls to every fly ball. I mean, that's incredible. When the next best from that was Framber Valdez last year, and that was 4.73. It's more than double. Now, he probably won't keep that going all season long. But he's been so good at getting ground ball outs, and because he is getting soft contact on these ground ball outs, he's pitching deeper into ball games. Q Monday, when Valdez goes out and throws his very first complete game against the Mariners, a two-hit, one-run complete game gem... He was obviously thrilled to do it. Um, he threw the most pitches he's ever thrown. I think 114 in that game. His previous high had been 113. But he was just in control the whole time. And for Fromber, really the key for him is spotting those pitches. Can he get the curveball to land where he wants it to? And certainly on Monday, he absolutely could. I mean, he was just wrecking guys with that curveball. Then he he spots the fastball. Location is a big deal for Fran Valdez when he has good control. And he has had some walk issues. He still walks guys a little bit more maybe than others. But the Astros' defense is so good, he ends up spinning them off and into double plays with those soft contact ground balls. And so, you know, this is a guy who is clearly the number two best pitcher on the Astros' roster. And when Lance McCullers gets back, they will have, assuming McCullers can get back to where he was last year before he was injured, this is a team that has three great starters, right? And then you have to look, okay, they actually have other guys. Luis Garcia, who continues to pitch exceptionally well, still very young. Then you have Christian Javier, who has been excellent and will likely be back in the bullpen. Then you've got Urquidy. Now, Urquidy is a guy who has been up and down. He had an, His last outing was a down outing after really coming back and, and pitching pretty well in the previous game. So you got to kind of look at him and be like, is, is he going to be able to get his control together? Is he going to be able to like not give up runs the way he has? But the one thing we do know is that Framber Valdez is legit. He is legit. And let's be honest. He's really the only re- he's the really the only solid lefty that the Astros have. Blake Taylor is not a solid lefty. Blake Taylor is 
a left-handed pitcher. Frambo Valdez is a legit elite-level left-handed pitcher. And in the starting lineup. And a guy who can eat up innings. We've seen that. Now, if he can keep that going, well, the Astros are going to have a very, very good starting rotation, if not great, going into the postseason. And their bullpen has been spectacular as well. So this is a very, very good team pitching-wise. Now, they've also been spectacular defensively. I saw today on Twitter that uh, the Astros are leading in defensive runs against replace defensive runs runs over replacement. So their war as a team leads baseball. Doesn't surprise me. Really does not surprise me. Just a spectacular performance infield outfield everywhere by this team with one of the best defensive catchers in baseball. Now, the one area, and this is going to bring me to my third topic here, is that they haven't been great in is at the plate. They have really, they've been struggling. And the reason really they've been struggling to score runs is because they just cannot get guys across the plate. They cannot score with runners in scoring position. They've struggled with this all season long. And a lot of that is due to the fact that they have some real holes in their lineup. Now, at the bottom of the lineup, this is the first time in a while that we've had an Astros team where their eight and nine hitters were really just not good. The combination of Jose Siri and Chaz McCormick has been bad. And then, of course, Martin Maldonado is just a black hole. You don't put Machete out there for his bat, even though he still has some pop on occasion. You put him out there because he's the best defensive catcher in baseball. And so they don't really have any great options there offensively. When Jake Myers gets back, could he potentially help boost uh, that eight position? Maybe so. But then you have to go up and you have to start looking, particularly at Yuli Gurriel. I mean, we could we could talk about Alex Bregman, who's had some problems uh, here and there, and and has it does it doesn't feel like he's quite where he should be at this point. Whether or not he will be is a different story. But look at Yuli Gurriel coming off the AL batting title, and we're through 40-plus games now. And to be real honest, you have to wonder, and this is people have been talking about this, when do you move him down in the lineup? When do you push him down to the seven spot and move Jeremy Pena, your phenom shortstop, who's the best average batter on the, on the roster? How, when do you move him up? And Dusty Baker said, in a quote from the Houston Chronicle, he said, I thought about it, but just not yet. The last thing you want to do is act like you're panicking. As we wait on some of these guys to do what they're capable of doing, we're still in first place. He doesn't want to panic. And I understand that. And you don't want to hurt a guy's confidence. But Guriel is 38. Is it possible that age is catching up to him? I tend to think probably not. The guy is a professional hitter. You know, he is a, a has been a incredible hitter since the day they brought him in. I think it was 2016 when the Astros first signed him. I don't imagine that he is a guy that's suddenly going to start circling the drain as a hitter. But because he is in a position to produce runs, you have to think, well, with the Astros not scoring well, this year, when do you get to the point where, like, listen, we, we can't 
we can't rely only on pitching and defense. We've got to get the bats to come around. And if that means, you know, Jose Altuve, who's getting on base, Michael Brantley, who's getting on base, if we got to drive these guys in by getting a guy like Pena farther up in the lineup, then maybe that's what we need to do. And, you know, in going on to sort of my fourth topic, and that is what to do when you can't score, it, it sort of dovetails into this. The Athletic, which, by the way, if you don't have a subscription to The Athletic, I highly recommend it. It's the best sports publication out there, I think. Jason Stark uh, this past week had a really incredible breakdown of Major League Baseball's four, first 40 games of the season, which is a typical benchmark for the league where it tends to be going forward. Now, this year is unique because we had the lockout. There were a lot of guys who not only didn't have enough spring training, but really didn't have much off-season training either. You know, typically clubs have their uh, training programs going and things like that. We didn't have any of that over the winter. So, of course, these guys are going to be a little behind the eight ball. But he really pointed out some fascinating numbers that were a bit startling. Um, Runs are down. I don't think anybody is shocked by that. Opposite field home runs are down which means a lot of guys are pulling the ball, which is something you see when guys are really trying to hit hard and are swinging and not seeing pitches as well. Strikeouts per home runs are way up. Another indicator that guys just aren't hitting particularly well, they aren't seeing the ball and they're not barreling it up. And of course, balls are traveling a much shorter distance thanks to the baseball, which is a whole nother topic that obviously could be dug into at some point. This is a the baseball just doesn't fly as far. And so as a consequence of that, and Stark points this out, outfielders are playing deep. They're like, listen, you're probably not going to be able to hit a home run off me. So I'm not going to let you hit one into the gap and get a double. If you want a single, go ahead. Right? But we're not going to let you have a double or a triple. And doubles and triples are way down, like way down this year from where they normally are. So you start looking at all of these things put together, and then you look at the Astros. 24th in batting average, 19th in on-base percentage. They still walk a lot. They still don't strike out a lot. But the thing with the Astros is they are a team that doesn't typically manufacture runs. This is not a station-to-station baseball team. This is a team that historically over the last you know six or seven years has relied on power they've relied on the big inning getting that crooked number not scoring a run scoring two runs three runs four runs in an inning you know that's how they've done it and they've done it by biding their time and going after a pitcher their third time through the lineup they've done it by waiting for a a weak reliever to come in and taking advantage of that guy They've done it a number of different ways, but the main thing has been they they go for the big inning. They go for the big hit. They're going for doubles and home runs, and you see that. But the problem is they're not able to hit these home runs, and doubles are getting cut off, so you just see them. It's, it's sort of, I think, hurting their ability to do what they would normally do. They've only scored 198 runs. This is prior to Monday's game. That's tied for 17th in baseball. This is, you know, historically over the again, over the last six or seven years, been the best or one of the best offensive 
ball clubs in baseball, and they have been struggling mightily. So you have to wonder, you know, obviously with home runs down, there's not a whole lot anybody can do about that. The ball is what it is. I still personally think it's a mistake for Major League Baseball to try and uh, change how the ball uh, behaves when it gets hit by a bat. I think it's a it's a weird concept. You know, on one hand, they're doing everything they can to sort of increase the offense, right? Next year, we're going to see probably the shift outlawed. We're going to see bigger bases. We're going to see pitch clocks for pitchers, you know, but somehow making the ball not fly as far is good. It doesn't make any sense to me. It's bizarre. And... There's and look. There's a link in the Stark story if you can if you do have athletic and you can get to it, where it links to a story about the humidor effect and how humidity and heat and all these other things are impacting the baseball. And it's way over my head. I mean, look. One thing you should know about me is, generally speaking, I am not a mathematician or a scientist. I love a lot of the statistical stuff in baseball. I love you know a lot of these fan graphs and. And places like that, I think it's fascinating, but no one is going to confuse me for a statistical expert, nor are they going to confuse me for a biochemist or a, a you know someone who's well-versed in physics. But in that story about the baseball, it talks about the physics of the baseball and, and sort of what's happening and the drag that is happening on the baseball and why it's causing it not to travel very far. And if you do have the stomach and the brain for that sort of stuff, I encourage you to read it because it is pretty fascinating. But I will say that for the Astros, since none of this is really going to change, I mean, we will see some obviously somewhat dramatic changes next year, rule changes. It's not going to happen this year. So they need to figure out what they need to do. Now, Jordan Alvarez is hitting the cover off the ball. Jose Altuve is back to being Jose Altuve. Michael Brantley is still Michael Brantley, right? I think Kyle Tucker, if he can get you know back from his injury, he's a guy that I think he's been up and down, but he's been overall a good productive hitter for the Astros. And I think Alex Bregman can be that as well. And of course, Jeremy Pena. Where Yuli Gurriel goes from here, I'm not sure. What happens when Jake Myers returns, I'm not sure. Will the Astros look for another bat uh, as they approach the trade deadline? Um, Charlie Palillo, who does some writing for uh, the Culture Map Sports site, he used to be on the radio for years, a, a guy I listened to since I was a kid. He suggested that if Yuli can't hit, maybe they need to replace him. Now, I think that might be going a little too far at this point. We don't know where we're at. You know, we're 50 games in or whatever it is. We still have a ways to go, and Yuli Gurriel has shown himself to consistently be a good hitter. And it, it doesn't feel like somebody like Yuli Gurriel, who's not a power hitter traditionally, that suddenly he's just not going to be able to hit the ball. He can't see anymore, right? which I think is part of his struggles right now. He's striking out a lot more than he normally does. He's not he's only walked like 7 times and he usually is is, you know, if not leading the league. He's he's amongst the leaders in in walks. I think some of that's going to have to change, you know. Now how it happens, I don't know. But it's something we definitely need to watch. Now coming up for the Astros, we they're still in Oakland currently. I, like I said I'm recording this on Tuesday depending on when you're uh, listening. Uh, they also have Kansas City at the end of the week. And if you look at their schedule right now, it is just, you know, uh, one softy after another. 
you have Oakland and then Kansas City. Then they're back for a home series against the, the Mariners, hopefully to get them back for the couple losses they took in Seattle. And then they face the Marlins, one of the NL's worst teams. And frankly, it, it's not until mid-June when they take on the White Sox that they face a team that is currently at or above 500. Chicago's only 23 and 23 right now. It's conceivable they'll be below 500. And the next time they face an above 500 team or an over 500 team will be when they face this bizarre schedule that happens after that in about three weeks against the Mets and Yankees. It's this wonky schedule partially because the Yankees weren't able to come to Houston early in the season because of the lockout and all that stuff. But they play nine straight games against the Mets and Yankees, the best two teams in baseball, you know, no offense to the Dodgers. And then they play the Angels coming off those nine games. And the Angels, you know, they just they've lost five in a row. They're they're falling backwards as the Astros are surging a bit, but you know, the Angels are I don't think are a challenge, but they're the closest thing the Astros have to a challenge in their division. And so, you know, that's a that's a you know, that's 12 games in a row against teams that will be legitimate or semi-legitimate challengers for the Astros. So, we're just going to have to watch that as see how it plays out over the next few games. That's going to do it for me for this inaugural episode. Look, thanks for listening. I really do appreciate it. Um, I hope you guys have some fun with this. I'd love to hear from you. Hit me up on Twitter, at Jeff Balky, um, and I'd love to hear your feedback. I'm going to continue to do these podcasts once, probably twice a week, once I've got a co-host lined up and uh, talk everything Astros all the way through the season, postseason, hopefully World Series. And then we'll get into the Hot Stove League spring training and do it all over again. I'm very excited about this and and super honored to be on the Believe Podcasting Network, a bunch of great people. And I look forward to talking to you guys every single week going forward. So keep it tuned right here and go Astros. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.